Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, here we go. Get ready. One of these explosive weeks. Just another one here. I'm so glad you're with me. Jason Miller is going to be here from the White House shortly. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West at the bottom of the hour. How do we stop these red states from turning purple slash blue? We'll discuss that as well as the coronavirus and what's going to take to get the shots in the arms of the American people. Operation Warp Speed is failing at the state level, and now they're going to be rotating out leaders as well as leaders of our country. By the way, if you want to subscribe to the show or the podcast, if this time slot live doesn't work for you, BrianKilmeadeShow.com, iTunes, iHeart, or Spotify. And you can always watch us on Fox Nation. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I remember very well the divisive uh, days of the Vietnam War, and and it wasn't as bad as this. This is as bad as it gets, as bad as it's ever gotten, perhaps since the Civil War. And so the challenge for leaders in a time like this is how do we uh, tamp this down? Right. I would love to see someone try to accept that challenge. Republicans and Democrats finally agree on something, and it's sad. A new Axios-Ipsos poll shows that four-fifths of Americans, Republicans and Democrats, say America's falling apart. How do we change this? What do you think? We want to hear from you. Number two. Here's the sleeping giant in all of this. Watch China. Over the last several weeks, in the early part of this year and late last year, he made Jack Ma, the wealthiest guy in China, disappear. Now you turn to the United States and it's Jack Dorsey that made the president of the United States disappear. Amazing. That was our tech expert yesterday, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, He was able to weigh in and put it all in perspective. Big tech crackdown is alarming. More and more is now uh, joining uh, joining the pushback. Snapchat now joins the other social media giants in banning the president. Is this the Soviet Union in 1980? Where you silence leaders you don't like and prevent outlets from threatening your dominance? This cannot stand. Number one. I sadly and with a heart broken over what this means to our country of a president who will incite insurrection will sign the engrossment of the article of impeachment. Nancy Pelosi, what an embarrassment. Impeachment 2.0 is now a done deal as 10 Republicans side with Democrats against the president. No investigation, no presidential defense, just a pocket rocket passage, which cheapens this process forever. We will look at the fallout and what is next. So the president evidently watched a lot of it. He doesn't have much of a schedule today either, which is a huge mistake. So he watched a lot of it and can't believe he didn't have more of a defense. He's very upset at Kevin McCarthy. I'm not upset. Uh, I'm not upset with Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney says, I think he should be impeached. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, his longtime friend, confidant, said, I think he should be censured. I don't think he should be impeached. And nine others besides Liz Cheney said he should. Matt Gates says Liz Cheney should be knocked out of leadership. I say no. So did Dan Crenshaw said, you know, I don't agree with Liz Cheney on this, but she's as strong and competent as anybody. She does should not move. So it's just craziness. So then they passed this thing in the House. Uh, we knew this was going to pass. 
so it passes pretty easily under 200 votes for the president. And because they have the majority, it's going to happen. Nancy Pelosi wearing the same dress she wore the first time she impeached him. This is a big show to her. She could not care less about the country. She only cares about her political agenda, whatever it might be, and holding on to power. She's, she's pathetic. And just promise me, if you ever get into power in anything you do, you will care more about your company, your team, your organization than you do yourself, and then you'll be effective. Do the opposite of what we're witnessing in Washington. Cut four. Today, in a bipartisan way, the House demonstrated that no one is above the law, not even the President of the United States. That Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our country, and that once again— All right, whatever. Uh, She is just terrible. 232 to 197, the vote was. The 10 Republicans joined overall. So it shows a weak thing, but the President— Goes and makes that speech, says march down there and be heard. And they say, well, he started it. I don't think the president in a million years thought they were ever going to breach the perimeter. Having said that, we don't have an investigation, so we don't know. That's why if you're going to impeach someone, it's going to be one of, those, one of the most biggest things. It's got to be egregious. We have no choice after years of investigation. These are our conclusions. The FBI is knee-deep in this. They say it's going to take years. There's already been 170 arrests. Most of these people— were organized on Twitter and Facebook. Nobody so far, reportedly, has said, oh, if it wasn't for Parler, I never would have known this would happen. But it looks like they had radios, they had communication. Uh, These people are evil that did that. The people that went to the rally are not evil. The people sitting in Wisconsin and Ohio and Texas and Tulsa, you're not evil. You support the president. Unofficially, 90% of the people that voted for the president still support him. That's 60 to 75 million people. So that's not going to go away because some lunatics thought they were going to go in and create havoc, have five people dead, and including a police officer hit in the back of the head with a fire extinguisher, and he never recovers. But impeachment? And where is the leadership from Joe Biden? I've been saying this for days. Joe Biden, this is your chance to be a leader. You got your impeachment in the House. We have no idea if you can possibly impeach someone out of office at Mar-a-Lago, but that's what you're going to allow them to do? Instead of addressing the pandemic, our enemies standing up a government and getting another stimulus package out there. Here's Lindsey Graham. Cut eight. Play this out. We impeach the president today today without any evidence. It's just sheer hatred. If this becomes the norm, be careful what you wish for today. Under this theory, the radical left, if you can impeach a president after they're out of office, why don't we impeach George Washington? He owns slaves. Where does this stop? So to my Republican colleagues, let's stand firm for the idea, whether you like Donald Trump or not, he's not above the law. If he did something wrong, you know, he can face the consequences of the law. Impeachment is political. What we're doing here is we're impeaching the president without any evidence, without any witnesses, and we're going to have a trial after they're out of office. How do you survive as a president in the future? Should we impeach Barack Obama because for 24 hours he never lifted a finger to help those people under siege oh, in Benghazi? On- hmm. Could you impeach somebody for not enforcing the Constitution, allowing sanctuary cities to exist? Uh, can you impeach someone who takes it upon themselves to automatically naturalize illegal immigrants like these DACA recipients because Republicans may next in a year and a half have majority in the House? I hope not. And you know, I'll be behind this microphone, I hope, and I'll be denouncing it if indeed it happens. They've cheapened the entire process. People that hate them, they're just doing it. It's like a temper tantrum. But we're in the middle of it. 
and we have other stuff to do. You got to get the shots in the arms with this vaccine. You got to get these kids back to school. You got to get the restaurants open again. Get these people to understand we don't want $2,000 checks. We want an opportunity to earn a living. We got to go back to work. Got to go back in our buildings. We got to get massive tests. We got to get massive vaccine movements. That should be it. At the same time, building up our defense because China is taking advantage of our, of our discontent. And that's to be kind. Victor Davis Hanson was on with Tucker last night. Cut 18. Sure, as we're speaking here, there will probably be a correction, as there always is, in a midterm election. Are the Republicans going to come in and say, you know, Joe Biden, he said something the other day. He's not cognitively aware. Let's use the 25th Amendment. Or, you know what, Joe Biden did not enforce immigration law. He's sworn to execute the laws of the United States. Let's impeach him. Or, you know what, we better get a special counsel to look at uh, the Ukraine matter again. So that's what they've done. And uh, why did they do this? Because we're going to see in two weeks, Tucker, the most comprehensive effort to change the way we govern in this state, whether it's emission of states, dismissal of the whole idea of electoral college, pack the court. And that's what it's about. They're disarming or preempting that fight by disarming their opposition. And it's happening. So Joe Biden, you say you want to bring America united. You want to, America united is the theme of your inauguration. I hear J-Lo is going to play. Uh, better than Three Doors Down, I imagine. Depends on what you like. Uh, three Doors Down, headline for the, uh, President Trump. So, Joe Biden, are you going to stand up? I'm not optimistic, judging by the tweet I saw or the statement I read. said, I hope that the Senate leadership will find a way to deal with their constitutional responsibilities on impeachment while also working on the ur- urgent business of the nation. You were senator for 101 years. You know they can't do both. When we come back, what's going on in the last moments, the last week of the administration, we're going to talk to Jason Miller, standing by the president from the White House. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to be very clear. 
I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law, supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. Uh, that's the President of the United States in a very uh, well-written, uh, well-put-out speech a week after the unrest. Uh, Jason Miller joins us now, uh, the Trump 20 campaign senior advisor. Uh, Jason, great speech yesterday. Uh, I wish that would have come a week ago. Brian, good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. You know, I think the president last week had some pretty strong words uh, regarding the horrific acts that we saw at the Capitol. Uh, I do think that his video last night was fantastic. Uh, and look, we can talk about timing of that. But the one thing that I would point out is that even if the pres- president had, say, put that video out last Thursday, for example, there for many on the left, then they would say, well, you've only done it one time. Uh, you haven't uh, you haven't done it multiple days in a row. For some people, I think there's never going to be uh, an appeasing of uh, just because of their hatred for President Trump. But the important thing is the president was crystal clear that he condemns any of the violence or the terrible activities that we saw last week, the inexcusable, um, uh, horrific violence that we saw. And most importantly, he made clear that we want an orderly transition and none of this nonsense going into next week, whether it's in D.C. or any of the state capitals. Right. That was clear in the speech uh, last week, for sure. What was his reaction to the impeachment? Uh, We watched his speech. He did not mention impeachment. Yeah, so uh, I was with uh, spent a lot of time with the president yesterday. I was actually in the uh, in the back of the Oval Office as he was recording uh, his uh, uh, the speech that he delivered uh, via video last night. Um, and which, uh, by the way, I, I I couldn't go and pull that off all in in one take. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, but the you know we talked a little bit about this, and so there were the uh, ten Republican defectors uh, on impeachment. And the good news is there were media reports saying that. There might be 20, 30, 40 Republican defectors, uh, that it might be a jailbreak, that this is when they're all uh, going to jump off uh, the Trump train and, and try to uh, cancel him for all history. The fact that there were only 10, and Liz Cheney was the only real name. There's Liz Cheney and then the guy that's auditioning for the CNN and MSNBC jobs. But I won't even mention his name, the guy from Illinois. But the fact that there were 10 and people really Adam only Kinsinger. know – uh, uh, oh, you, you guess. Lucky guess, Brian. Um, the and look, if he doesn't leave early to go to CNN or MSNBC, they're going to probably take his uh, district out and redistricting. Um, but that there were only ten, and people don't really, other than Liz Cheney, don't really know him. Um, I think that's a, a sign of uh, that these guys are kind of waking up and seeing, hey, um, the grassroots are not there. I mean, you know, we went in the field with uh, the great John McLaughlin, the pollster, uh, a couple days ago. And 80 percent of Trump supporters in battleground states uh, will hold it against members of Congress or senators uh, who vote for impeachment, 76 percent of all Republicans. So I think it's still pretty clear that President Trump is the big voice. And look, I think it's kind of embarrassing for Liz Cheney to stand with Nancy Pelosi or Adam Kinzinger to stand with uh, Feng Feng Swalwell. Um, and uh, but th- I think this also is a good sign that going to the Senate, we even saw Jim Clyburn out on TV, or excuse me, on NPR this morning, uh, saying that there are not 17 Republican votes in uh, I hope in the Senate. And I hope they put the it Senate. on the shelf. But you have to say this too: the president sided with Nancy Pelosi. 
Pelosi on the $2,000. So, uh, you know, Liz Cheney's a, a fine person. She just saw what happened at the Capitol, uh, feels as though the president's speech was responsible for it, and she voted the way she did. Here's Kevin McCarthy, cut seven. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action. And he went on. He said, I think the president should be censured, not impeached. I heard the president was uh, just beside himself with Kevin McCarthy because of those remarks. What can you tell, uh, tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly the uh, the president does not agree with Congressman McCarthy, uh, and he was not uh, particularly happy at, uh, at Kevin's remarks. Uh, but also, I think uh, the the president uh, realized that um, the reason why Republicans stuck with him is because he's still uh, the uh, the flag bearer for the Republican Party. He is still the one who will be the biggest draw in 2022. I want to go back to something, uh, Brian, that you said a moment ago because I think this is a real real serious point. Well, is Cheney? Uh, well, I'm getting that. That's my, my second point. Uh, but the first is about when we talk about the issue of responsibility. And I think what the president has a responsibility to do is to condemn uh, the uh, horrific uh, attack from last week. I think he has a responsibility to make it clear to all of his supporters, to anyone who might be faking and trying to say they're a supporter, um, to make clear that this is not part of his movement. This is not part of Make America Great Again. It, you would have to be so thick in the head, Brian, to have listened to President Trump over the last five years and uh, hear him talk about law and order and how this mob violence is never acceptable, how yeah. we support our law enforcement. I hear you, Jason, and, and that go, point was made in the speech. That. i got to ask you a couple more things. You're up against a hard break. Uh, first off, is it true the president wanted to go down on the floor himself and defend himself yesterday? Uh, as far as going down to the floor, I hadn't heard that part about going down to the floor. Uh, I'm not even sure if uh, a president would be able to go and do that. I do know that the president would definitely like to be able to get out there and defend himself a little bit more directly on, say, Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram. And I, I do think it's pretty shameful that these big tech companies, literally that video that you played, the, the portion of Brian at the beginning, they won't even play that on, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. That's and incredible. That's the level of uh, – because here's the thing. Uh, what happened last week can never happen again. And I'm really concerned, Brian, that we're going to start splitting off into effectively different countries here where Trump supporters are over here and Biden supporters are over here. We have to start coming together as a country. And at a certain point here, the big tech companies, uh, some of uh, other folks in, in uh, some of the bad actors, the biased actors in the media, they have to make a decision. Are we going to work with uh, folks like President Trump and his 75 million uh, voters uh, to go and move the country forward? Are we going to push people further away? And Brian, that's why I'm glad. I think you always have a pretty clear-eyed uh, view of the world and say, hey, we can all be better uh, people than we are. So is the president going to do, what's the president, is, he has nothing on his calendar today. Is he taking Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion and it's available wherever you find your audio daily analysis and news he is hot i am mike actually my name is chad his name is jonathan but you get the picture we're gonna bring it every single day whatever you want to call us we'll respond to we just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day and while you're here we hope you subscribe to the podcast like subscribe and share in action against these tech companies 
so as far as the you know the president did bring up big tech in that video that he put out there, which by the way, seventy four percent of the people that we pulled in the battleground states uh, said that they're very concerned that if these tech companies are willing to go and censor an individual like the president of the United States, that they might be next. And seventy percent think that action needs to be taken, whether that's Section two thirty or some antitrust uh, reform, something about these monopolies. Um, I'll have to. I'm going to have to punt on this one for the simple fact that I'm not part of the White House Council. I can't speak to uh, upcoming executive orders. What I hope uh, is uh, a political advisor to the president. I hope he does take action on these big tech companies uh, because, again, it's not going to stop with President Trump. They've made it very clear. We saw Mm -hmm. Jack's tweets uh, yesterday. These are partisan actors uh, who want to drive him out of existence. I mean, uh, Brian, the fact that, what, Pinterest uh, is is banning President Trump or Grindr uh, or Snapchat, uh, you know, some of these platforms, you know, didn't even know they were still in business. Jason, Uh, uh, thanks so much. We're up against a break, but appreciate the insight and crazy times at the White House. Alan West next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Osama bin Laden did not enter U.S. soil on September 11, but it was widely acknowledged that he was responsible for inspiring the attack on our country. And the president, with his words, using the words fight, with the speakers that he assembled that day who called for trial by combat and said we have to take names and kick ass. I'm comparing the words of a individual who would incite and radicalize somebody uh, as Osama bin Laden did to what President Trump did. Uh, yeah, there you go. Eric Swalwell comparing Donald Trump to Osama bin Laden. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Center, joins us now. Uh, Colonel, do you think that's an apt comparison? Well, absolutely not. It's a pleasure to be with you, Brian. I find that very disgusting and disconcerting coming from a sitting member of the United States House of Representatives, the place that I served, and consider the fact that I was deployed in uh, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq, places where we had to fight against Islamic terrorists. And for this individual who was uh, quite familiar with uh, a Chinese uh, spy to be comparing our president of the United States of America with a, a, a vicious uh, terrorists like Osama bin Laden, that's unconscionable, and it's unacceptable. And and this is why the Democrats are going to end up imploding very, very quickly. And as soon as the American people can get back to the ballot box, uh, they will remove them from power. What do you take, uh, what do you think of the uh, vote yesterday where you have uh, Liz Cheney uh, voting to impeach, Kevin McCarthy voting to censure? In fact, here's a little of what he said yesterday. Cut six. I believe impeaching the president in such a short time frame would be a mistake. No investigations have been completed. No hearings have been held. What's more, the Senate has confirmed that no trial will begin until after President-elect Biden is sworn in. A vote to impeach would further divide this nation. So I thought, okay, no, that sounds good. But then he said this, cut seven. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. 
The President bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action. The President's immediate action also deserves congressional action, which is why I think a fact-finding commission and a censure resolution would be prudent. Where do you stand, Colonel? Well, I stand very simply on this. I think that Leader McCarthy was trying to placate two different camps. Uh, and I think that in the Bible and Revelation, it says you either hot or you're cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you from my mouth. So just call it as it is and make a decision. I was very upset that you did have, I believe, five or six Republicans that just flat out Ten. abstained. I mean, yeah. well, you said abstained? Ten, well, 10. Ten, yeah, there were five or six that abstained, did not vote, uh, period. And there were 10 that voted for the impeachment. Uh, look, Brian, I remember when you know President Barack Obama abandoned Americans to die in a place called Benghazi. Four Americans lost their lives, and then he came out and lied about it. I don't recall anyone standing up and saying that President Obama needed to be censured. I just remember that the former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, said, what difference does it make? And when I look at some of the rhetoric that came out of the mouths of those people on the Democrat side of the aisle that was speaking yesterday that incited violence, uh, even the person that will be sworn in as a vice president, she incited violence. And that violence was clear on the streets in Portland and Seattle, all across the United States of America. I never heard any Democrat condemning that violence. I had never heard any Democrat standing up and taking any responsibility. Gerald Nadler, you know, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, said that Antifa was a myth. And so yesterday was just a sham. Yesterday was just showing the totalitarian vengeance of the Democrat Party and for, to have Republicans that joined in on it. I got to be very honest. This is why there are so many people that are calling our office of the Republican Party of Texas saying that they're upset with Republicans. So do you believe the election was stolen? I believe that there are unconstitutional actions that occurred in several different states that led to a, uh, a result that should be uh, looked into. When you think about uh, judicial uh, officials, courts, when you think about secretaries of state and governors that are changing election law and that did not come through state legislatures, yes, I'm concerned about that. Universal mail-in ballots. How can you have 1.8 million ballots going out in Pennsylvania, but yet, uh, quote-unquote, I believe you got 2.5 million that came back? Uh, the the uh, Secretary of State here in Texas did not certify the Dominion voting systems because of back-end security issues. So why were Dominion voting systems allowed to be used anywhere else in the United States of America? So those are very simple facts that we need to, uh, to have looked into. But uh, the fact that we got to that point where the president's holding a rally at the White House and says, go down to the Capitol, was that a series of events you think that was well thought out? Well, I think that now when we look in uh, retrospect, there were people that were already climbing scaffolding and everything like that before the president even finished speaking. Look, I will say this. But they were his supporters, call, it seems. If, well, look, the people that went inside the Capitol were wrong. And we have talked about that. No one condones that violence. No one condones those actions. But even the New York Times is saying it seems like this was a preplanned event, regardless of the president. But if you are going to call people there to Washington, D.C., you've got to make sure that there's some type of leadership, there's some type of organization, there's some type of control measures in place uh, for these individuals there. And, you know, sadly, the president has become the focal point, uh, and he uh, – gave the left and, and other people a, an opportunity, a gap to exploit him and to attack him. 
He did. Uh, and, and that's where we're going right now. So the president of the United States, through this small number of people around him, uh, basically will be leaving on Tuesday, Wednesday. Who Do you believe he uh, he leaves as the leader of the party? Well, I believe that President Trump has done an incredible job with the Republican Party. He brought in 12 million new voters since uh, 2016. He had uh, the largest amount of minority electoral support of any Republican since 1960 in the black and Hispanic community. So if you're going to be retrospective, you know, let's put aside tweets, let's put aside, you know, uh, personalities, but let's look at what he accomplished. What he accomplished was monumental for the United States of America, and it was monumental for the Republican Party. You have people that have come uh, as conservatives or as Republicans that had never participated in the electoral process before. Why? Because he gave them a voice, and I think that that's something that the Republican Party needs to continue to build on. So you know what happened with Twitter, uh, Facebook. Their their stocks are tumbling. I don't know for how long, but mm-hmm. they paid a huge price. Their cap value over $52 billion lost since they decided to ban the president. That was followed by Instagram, owned by Facebook, and now followed by Snapchat. The president's basically have been, has been muted outside the press conferences he could hold. So Twitter, feeling the pain perhaps, went ahead and had their CEO uh, tweet some things out. He said, I believe this was the right decision for Twitter. We faced an extraordinary, untenable circumstances, forcing us to focus only our actions on public safety. Offline harm as a result of online speech is demonstrably real and what drives our policy and enforcement above all. That said, having to ban an account has real and significant ramifications. While there are clear and obvious exceptions, I feel a ban is a failure of ours ultimately to promote healthy conversation and a time for us to reflect on our operations and environment around us. What does that mean, and why do you think he wrote that? I had no choice, essentially, but I do admit that it was wrong. Well, first and foremost, it's empty words coming from Jack Dorsey. I don't remember him banning, uh, you know, the the leaders of ISIS or any Islamic terrorists that were using that platform. The Ayatollah Khamenei still has a uh, Twitter handle. And Antifa has two. To, Antifa has a Twitter handle. And as a matter of fact, even on Facebook, you found Antifa and uh, also Black Lives Matter coordinating their activities. So no one's buying this crap that he's putting out there. The bottom line is that he's starting to feel the financial ramifications of being uh, or censoring not just the president, but the American people. And we don't believe in fascism in the United States of America. We don't believe that you suppress one of our most precious rights, and that's the freedom of speech and the the freedom of expression. That's exactly what Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg are doing, and they are going to be uh, paying the price uh, in the marketplace. So I want you to hear what Vivek Ramaswamy said yesterday. He's a tech tech expert, and I thought he put it beautifully about what's happening right now in America. Cut 26. Here's the sleeping giant in all of this. Watch China. Xi Jinping's watching what's happening over here. Over the last several weeks, in the early part of this year and late last year, he made Jack Ma, the wealthiest guy in China, disappear for many weeks. Now you turn to the United States, and it's Jack Dorsey that made the president of the United States disappear. And if he can do it to President Trump, he can do it to any democratically elected president going forward as well. And he went on. Cut 27. In the longer run, China sees the the true monarchy in the United States is actually run out of Silicon Valley, not out of the three-branch government we have in Washington, D.C. And I want to watch those linkages between the CCP and Silicon Valley really closely because once they understand that's the seat of power here, that's the next logical step from a geopolitical perspective. Remarkable conclusions, and I think they're indisputable. 
They are indisputable. And so what you do have is a powerful political oligarchy that is being developed in Silicon Valley. And what concerns us here in Texas is that now you see a lot of that moving into Texas when you have the uh, the head of Oracle talking about moving his uh, corporation to Texas. And Texas, you know, between Austin and Richardson, Texas, becoming a major tech hub. We don't want that in, uh, in the state of Texas. And so if you want to continue to suppress free speech, if you want to continue to have these relationships with uh, communist China, and think about, you know, the employees of Google who uh, decided that they were more than happy to share technology with China, but they were not happy with sharing technology with the uh, United States uh, military. So that is how this intricate relationship is developing. We have to be very concerned about it. And in retrospect, you know, when the president was talking about that Section 230 and the National Defense Authorization Act, he seems pretty smart in uh, having that uh, protection removed from these big tech companies, which, of course, the Congress overrode his veto. Yeah, but he waited too long. Uh, I know he had a lot of different things yeah. happening, including a pandemic, but he waited too long. Uh, Colonel yeah. Alan West, uh, interesting conversation, fascinating times. Thanks so much. God bless. Take care, Brian. You got it. When we come back, your turn to talk. Remember, this one study that's out I want to share with you. Republicans and Democrats agree on one thing, according to Axios. In their poll, they did. Four-fifths of Americans believe America is falling apart. I don't. Do you? one 408 There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I remember very well the divisive uh, days of the Vietnam War and the extraordinary passions that that conflict, uh, that conflict brought to the surface. It wasn't as bad as this. This is as bad as it gets, as bad as it's ever gotten, perhaps since the Civil War. And so the challenge for leaders in a time like this is, you know, how do we, how do we uh, tamp this down? How do we, you know, find places to agree? Um, because this is very, this is poisonous to our country. And certainly some of the things that Democrats did in the aftermath of President Trump's election have not contributed in any positive way to that job. Uh, that is Britt Hume putting in perspective what he's witnessed, what he's reported on, and where we're at now as an American. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, Paul is in Arizona. Hey, Paul. Hey, Brian. How you doing, buddy? Good. Good. I just wanted to comment on your uh, question there. I, I truly believe that as Americans we can all work toward this. I'm a Republican. I do believe that— uh, you know, it, it takes both sides to put this thing back together. I'm going to give it my best. But I do believe that, uh, using the analogy of a deck of cards, that uh, Democrats will, uh, every time a face card comes up, they'll take that and say, yeah, do what we did. But anytime things start going bad, they're going to pull a joker card and they're going to say, uh, that, that's Trump's fault. I, I, uh, they will for the next few years. Uh, remember, it was everything George Bush with President Obama. It took him two years. It took him four years to stop referring everything to President Bush, who had the classiness of not saying anything. He just kept his mouth shut. Dick Cheney would speak out sometimes. But I do think that as soon as we start getting deals, one of the first things that Joe Biden could do, I've talked to Chuck Schumer. I've talked to Mitch McConnell. I've asked them to end the impeachment. Talk now. We have too much to do. 
that would immediately lower the temperature. Right now, they have used this ridiculous impeachment to reconfigure, reunify uh, the Trump team and the Trump support outside the White House. Most of the White House staffers have left, which I think is irresponsible. You have a job to do. But if you start cutting deals, and another deal I think is easy is the immigration situation. What do Republicans say? I'll do immigration reform, but you have to seal the border. Ronald Reagan said, you promise to seal the border, I'll give you amnesty. He got amnesty, they never sealed the border. Now, you have enough money for 750 miles of wall. You did 450, finish that, put in, guarantee the other 750, and you're done. You know how fast you could do it a year. It took, what, a year to do 400 miles? Can you imagine what you can get done in two years? You could be done with the wall. And then you could take a talking point from the Republicans. At the same time, you all you're doing is spending money that's already been allocated. It's my, that's my two cents. Roy is listening on WVGA, Valdosta, Georgia. Roy. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I just want to say that if any Democrat that does not run out to uh, Mount Everest and shout out against what uh, social media is doing to our country, they're just as guilty of supporting slavery as is uh, Amazon, Twitter, and Facebook of enslaving our opinions our speech and and our right to live as free people. It's happening now. I mean, they silenced the most powerful person in the world. And I would think that the Democrats of all people would be against uh, enslavement. And this is just what it is. You call it what you want to run from it, hide from it, but it is what it is. And it's, uh, it's, it's just uh, wrong for our country. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, I do think that one way to come back together would be just to cut a couple of deals. Here's cut 13, Jim Jordan. Americans are tired of the double standard. They are so tired of it. Democrats object to more states in 2017 than Republicans did last week, but somehow we're wrong. Democrats can raise bail for rioters and looters this summer, but somehow when Republicans condemn all the violence, the violence this summer, the violence last week, somehow we're wrong. So true. Joe is in Los Angeles. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian, a couple things. How could Trump have incited them in, 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 to violence in his speech if they were too far away to hear his speech? What I'm saying is that the, the ellipse is 1.7 miles away from the Capitol break-in. So they all ran home, got their B, little BLM kits with the tactical gear and the ropes and the gas masks and the hammers. People like John Sullivan who of BLM, who's actually a member of uh, BLM Insurrection, Insurrection Inc., who was actually arrested on the scene and eventually let go. That is not the same as the MAGA people were there. So the fact that there was, this was never investigated for the impeachment oh, it's is a, joke. a signal that this, the impeachment but, is pure BS. But, Joe, I just do have to, say, to tell you, there are Trump supporters that were there. They were mostly Trump supporters. And I do believe he told them to march down there. He never wanted them to breach security. He doesn't – you know him. Even his worst detractor would say this guy is all about law and order. You think he wanted them to take a police officer's shield and put it through a window, jump through that window, and then threaten physical violence? No, he should have been quicker to condemn it. He should have understood the thought about it uh, more thoroughly. But I guess on some level, he's like, I know how secure that place is. These guys are never getting in there. Plus, my people aren't violent. I had them for a year and a half before I was president, during the campaign, and then for four years as president. 
They're not, they're not physical fighters. They're just inspired for me. Not the people that showed up there. Not that day. They all should be arrested. And 170 half. And the president has control over it, I believe. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Seth Barron, great writer, for a longtime writer in New York City, as well as now the New York Post. He writes a column there, and he is going to bring us inside the release of the lockdown, perhaps, as Mayor Cuomo, excuse me, Governor Cuomo, the Emmy Award winner, says, you know, we have to work our way through the pandemic. We can't wait for the vaccine to take root. Unbelievable. He's with the Manhattan Institute. Brian Billick is going to be here, uh, former Super Bowl winning coach for the Ravens, offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, now NFL Network analyst. He's going to be with us talking about this weekend's great games. So, uh, And Chris Wallace is just getting out of the shower. He asked me to fill for him for just a second. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I remember very well the divisive uh, days of the Vietnam War, and then it wasn't as bad as this. This is as bad as it gets, as bad as it's ever gotten, perhaps since the Civil War. And so the challenge for leaders in a time like this is how do we uh, tamp this down? Brett Hume putting it in perspective. Republicans, Democrats finally agree on something, and it's sad. A new Axios-Ipsos poll says four-fifths of Americans, Republicans and Democrats, say America's falling apart. How do we change that? I want to hear from you. Number two. Here's the sleeping giant in all of this. Watch China. Over the last several weeks, in the early part of this year and late last year, he made Jack Ma, the wealthiest guy in China, disappear. Now you turn to the United States and it's Jack Dorsey that made the president of the United States disappear. Uh, so true, said yesterday by Vivek Ramaswamy. He's a tech expert on our show. Big tech crackdown is alarming, and more and more now, Snapchat joins the other social media giants in banning the president. Is this the Soviet Union or what? This can't stand. Number one. I sadly and with a heart broken over what this means to our country, of a president who would incite insurrection will sign the engrossment of the article of impeachment. Right, I'm sure our heart's broken, just like she's praying for us. Impeachment 2.0 is now a done deal as 10 Republicans side with Democrats against the president. There was no investigation, no presidential defense, just a pocket rocket passage, which cheapens the process forever. We're going to look at the fallout and what is next. Nothing good all around. If you're a Trump supporter, you're not happy. If you're a Trump attacker, please tell me the good side of this. And if you're Joe Biden, you can't be happy. Joining us now, this guy who's always happy. Chris Wallace. <laughs> you didn't know that there was no open, did you? No, they told me there was no new open. I didn't know there was no open at all. I just thought, well, you know, also, go now we're going to, ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to hear for the next minute, minute and a half, is Brian Kilmeade turning on his staff again, which we've heard <laughs> over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> and now you have a story. Fire Eric, fire Allison. Uh, Peter, Peter, you would need to fire him, too. I think they all need to be fired. <laughs> you, you never even met them. I've met Allison. I've met Eric. That's not true at all. Really? You guys, you have met Chris Wallace in person? 
Chris has actually been so kind as to pull my suitcase for me. Pull it. No, there you can carry it. There you, you go. Has Allison, wheels? Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Allison, look, there's always a place for you at Fox News Sunday, and, and I don't jump ugly on my staff when he fails to understand that there was not supposed to be an open. Excellent. <laughs> we might be in touch, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? I don't think pulling a suitcase matters because it takes no effort. If it was she carrying was a suitcase. She was at the time. Oh. That then that does help. I should I should probably have done that. I think he, he, I, you kept her working. She was ten months pregnant <laughs> down at the Super Bowl. It's true. You you work forever, and she had twins. Is that true, Allison? You had twins. I can confirm that. Yes. Right. She ended up having two kids. Wow. I didn't. I don't know if I. I mean, she, I must have known it at the time, but I'd forgotten that she she looked big enough to have twins. She was. I probably shouldn't say this. She was. She was big. She was pregnant. Very Listen. pregnant. I have said some socially awkward things, but you just said something also, right? Wasn't that insulting? It's, it's, it's a fact. I was pretty large. It's right. fine. I don't mind it. I know some pregnant people do. I do Thank not you. mind that. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, once again, you see, she, she sides with me against her putative <laughs> boss on national radio. I'm the CEO of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen, you may be impeached before this is all over. Right not? Everybody else is. Exactly. Um, Why join the crowd? So uh, listen to the president yesterday, a little bit of it. Cut one. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law, supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence. And he went on. I, I thought the, the speech was great. Do you believe the same thing? Did you, would you think it hit all the marks yesterday? Did not once refer to impeachment. Yeah, he also didn't refer to his role. Look, you, your listeners aren't going to be happy with what I'm going to say, but this is like a guy who, you know, was an accessory to a bank robbery and then sits there and says, we really, you know, they, they, we've got to have stronger situations and security in these banks. And, you know, these bank robbers, they're out of control. I mean, he, there was zero remorse. There was zero taking of responsibility for his role in all this. And, you know, don't, I know a lot of people, uh, Chris Wallace, we know about him. Just listen to Liz Cheney. Just listen to Mitch McConnell. They are not raving liberals. And, you know, as Liz Cheney said, he lit the match. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't hear much responsibility, taking of responsibility for match lighting. But do you think that he wanted them to breach the barrier, grab a shield, throw it through a window, and start ramp, uh, wrecking the place? I, you know what? I don't know. I, and, and, really? and honestly, I don't think I think, yes, that's the honest answer. I mean, he said an awful lot of things. He he pursued this absolutely bogus claim that the election had been stolen from him when it was rejected in 50 cases. Uh, the, the electors were uh, certified following the Constitution. They're sitting there. He holds a mass rally. Uh, they they do what you just said they did to the Capitol, and he doesn't say anything for hours while they're raging. You know, he could have put out – I would have been much more impressed with this video if he had put it out last Wednesday, 2 o'clock yeah. a, week, a week earlier. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Listen, I, I was the one who said on Monday, 
uh, that, wait a second, he's having a rally the day the Electoral College is being banged in? I go, it's going to be anarchy. And that was that was a headline among media blogs for a while that I used the term anarchy. But I said to myself, this is going to be a bad situation. I actually never thought it would be possible to breach that security. I didn't think al-Qaeda could breach that security, let alone um, a bunch of rioters. So that's where I was mistaken. Being that you have more experience in Washington than almost anyone, were you surprised that they could breach that security? Sure, of course. And and, and obviously it turns out there was a, a tremendous failure of preparation. Uh, and we now know that the FBI had gotten reports because there was all kinds of chatter on the Internet, uh, the Norfolk office of the FBI in Virginia had let them know at the beginning of the week there should have been a much greater show of force at, at the Capitol on Wednesday than there was. I mean, I don't blame those Capitol police officers. They were totally outmanned. There was nothing they could do. But they, it shouldn't have been that situation. There should have been barriers and fence. And, you know, we've now got to do you realize that by next Wednesday there are going to be more soldiers, the National Guard, there are going to be more military people on Capitol Hill, triple, I think, I know. than we have serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. But that's how you prevent something like this is by such an overwhelming show of force that if you're a crazy protester, you sit there and you go, and not a protester, an, an insurrectionist, you sit there and say, I'm not messing with these guys. If Joe Biden truly wants to bring this country together, great opportunity. I talked to Chuck Schumer, talked to Mitch McConnell, and we have so so much to do in the middle of a pandemic that is unwavering and a vaccine that's stumbling. We need to put this behind us. I've asked them to put this aside and they've agreed. How if you really want America United to be your theme, wouldn't that be the best way? I don't know. Because he's out of office. What? Well, I understand that. And I certainly don't think that if you're going to do it, you should do it. Right away. I mean, I think, first of all, you're exactly right. There's a lot of stuff. He needs to get a, a cabinet in, in place. Uh, there hasn't been a single hearing um, yet for uh, a, you know, a member of his cabinet, the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Defense Secretary, the Treasury Secretary. Hasn't been a single hearing, let alone a vote to confirm. And you're exactly right. We are in a crisis, both economic and public health. Um, so, you know, I, I agree that, that holding a trial uh, on day one or day two in the first week of the Biden administration. Forget the unity issue, just on the simple thing of taking what's most important. I agree with that, but right. that you don't want to do that right then. You know, I mean, here's the only point I would make. And, I, you know, I, I'm conflicted on this myself. People that are saying, oh, my God, they held this this. Uh, um, you know, this this snap impeachment yeah. and all of that. Jonathan the fact is, I mean, look, you you know, if, if people storm Fox, uh, Fox News and they are beating on your studio yep. and, you, you know, they're saying, let's get Brian yeah. and you literally feel your life and the life of your colleagues is in danger. You know, you, people react to that. I mean, but it's, but it's not it's, but the court of law and the impeachment should should be immune to that. There's a process and they didn't follow that process. Well, I, I, you say they didn't follow the process. How much investigation did you need? I mean, a, seriously, a you, you know what happened. You know what the president said. The FBI needs more uh, time. I, 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 what? The FBI, the FBI says we need more time. Well, they're not talking about – they're talking about uh, a legal process, a legal process in the sense of criminal prosecution. Uh, this is a political process, as has become all too clear. 
And, uh, you know, yeah. if, if, if a majority wants time. to impeach, they can impeach tomorrow. Now, it's going to be and too – it's so wrong to make this, uh, make this a normal series of events. And that's what we're going to see. And I hope Republicans don't fall into the same trap when they have the majority. Well, let me, I know, I know – can, can I just well, get to Big Tech with, with you before I have to say – Yes, sir. Yes, so sir. I want you to hear Vivek Ramaswamy. You're the boss. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, well, you're the legend. Vivek Ramaswamy is a tech yeah. expert. And he looked at this situation where the president's been totally muted on social media, and he equated what's happening with Alibaba. Listen to this. Cut 26. Here's the sleeping giant in all of this. Watch China. Xi Jinping's watching what's happening over here. Over the last several weeks, in the early part of this year, late last year, he made Jack Ma, the wealthiest guy in China, disappear for many weeks. Now you turn to the United States, and it's Jack Dorsey that made the president of the United States disappear. And if he can do it to President Trump, he can do it to any democratically elected president going forward as well. Germany, France, European Union ambassadors, uh, Australians president, uh, prime minister, I should say, uh, Brazilians leader, all said, not big fans of the president in some cases, this is wrong. Do you feel it's wrong? Well, let me say, first of all, uh, I have a great guest on Sunday, Tim Cook the head of Apple, and I, I did the interview yesterday, and I will tell you, I asked him, and we discussed uh, the, the riot on Capitol Hill and uh, big tech silencing the president, and specifically what Apple did, taking uh, Parler off its app store. So you'll get to see all of that on Fox News Sunday. Um, you know, I, I guess I'd say you can't compare what happened in China to what happened here. They didn't silence the president. The fact is the president is the president. He did that video yesterday. It was out everywhere. He's still able, you know, he made a speech in Alamo, Texas, and that got covered. So he's not silent. These are private companies. It's not government. Op- it's not a government operation. And they decide that for the sake of, of public safety, uh, they want to take him off their private they're, they're private platforms. They're allowed to do that. They're private companies that are allowed to do that. It's not, it's not an abridgment of the First Amendment because that says government can take no action. This wasn't government. But how do you feel about government heavily subsidizing their success and then the fact that they're supposed to be competitors, but they colluded, it seems, to shut him down when they have no the, – the criteria that they have is impossible to justify. When you have all these other leaders and you have hashtag uh, assassinate Trump on Twitter and they communicated using Facebook and Twitter to do this, they should be no, – I, Look, I agree. That's, that's very complicated. But again, I'm going to go back to what I said before, and I'm concerned about it. I, I'm absolutely concerned about it, and, and I'm particularly – concerned about exactly what you point out, which is the slippery slope, which is, you know, what what is over the line and what isn't over the line. And the fact that the Ayatollah Khamenei of Iran is on Twitter, but the president of the United States is not. On the other hand, Wednesday happened and people are going to react when you have people in the Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence. You know, there's going to be a reaction to that. Yeah. You know where it was trending on Twitter? Well, I understand, and therefore you can understand where Twitter would think, my gosh, we were involved in that, and we don't want to be involved in that. Right. So so take down Parler. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, are, it's unbelievable I mean, that it happened within days of each other. I'll take down my number one competitor and clue well, to take, on, take down it, it, it uh, the number one Republican. Like it, wasn't, it wasn't in a vacuum. I mean, there was, I mean you and I and, and our parents, we've never seen anything like what happened. I mean, I don't know that it's ever happened in history. I guess, uh, uh, you know, our expert 
on Capitol Hill. Chad Pergram said it was the biggest attack on Congress since the Brits in 1814. And yes, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I wasn't around for that. So, you know, this is this is kind of extraordinary and people are going to react. Right. I was against uh, both, by the way. I was against the British invasion and I was against Wednesday's invasion. Uh, I look forward to Fox News. Were you at the time? No, at the time I was on the fence. I was I was I was a loyalist. I was hoping the British would take the country back. I remember that. I just want to ask one question because I know we have to go. When we get off and you go to commercial, are you going to yell at your at Allison and your staff for not properly informing you? Although it seems I got the message it was not going to be a new open right. on. I and I think it's going to be. You know what I'm going to do? Silent treatment. What? Silent treatment. Silent treatment. You know what? I think they can live with that. <laughs> Chris, we're going to watch Fox News Sunday in your interview with Tim. Yeah, Tim Cook. Cook, everybody, and right. we'll have some other people as well. All right, stay within yourself. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I ran for president because I saw that the economy was not working for everyday Americans. 60% of small businesses are shutting down. That's crazy. We need to realize Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream of a guaranteed minimum income and get cash into the hands of people who need it most. Hang in there, help's on the way. We'll create a people's bank so it stops being so expensive to be poor. Your advocacy for universal basic income is so critical. The surest way to end poverty is to put money in people's pockets. It's that simple. Andrew Yang, a self-made multimillionaire, wants to give away money without people working for it because he believes that's the way to solve America's money problems Uh, And now he's running for mayor of New York City. He is. It's like an over two minute video. Um, The best part of it, there's a scene of him and his wife on a bridge giving each other kisses, both with masks on. So they're kissing through masks. It's comical. But I mean, uh, whatever you think of him, the video is what it is. But that made me laugh out loud. Well, I mean, he's got to be better than the mayor we have now. Well, that is true. You can only go up. But I mean, how how much more expensive will it be for the most people to live here? Or, the, you know, he wants to give everyone money, but if you actually it have a job— value values money. Yeah, how are you going to be taxed? Right, and then people are going to go, wait a second, I'm getting this money, and if I get a job, I might be making less money, so I'm not going to get any money. So it, it, so your heart's in the right place, but where's your head? No one doubts how smart he is. People say he's a really smart guy. Seems all right. And is it, uh, he knows the tech center, right? He knows social media, so he'll make his—he'll get the younger vote. And is he, But is he going to push more businesses out of New York City if he taxes them too high? Is it possible to push more out— now they're also doing with education. They're stopping gifted programs. The gifted kids will no longer have a chance to go to their own school. Unbelievable. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The contracts make very clear uh, if a company, the leadership of that company is engaged in criminal activity, 
We have the right to sever the contract. Inciting an insurrection against the United States government clearly constitutes criminal activity. So the city of New York will no longer have anything to do with the Trump organization. So there you go. The mayor, again, the guy who in the middle of a pandemic thinks it's important to paint Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Tower. Now does the thing where we're going to sever contracts with the Trump family. All right, fine. You got four contracts. I think five contracts. Four are up in April. A totally unnecessary, pure political gesture in the time of crisis. You cannot be failed more directly and precipitously than one Mayor de Blasio, unless, of course, you're talking about Governor Cuomo and the fact they're in, they don't speak to each other in any civil term. Seth Barron joins us now. I don't have to explain that to him. He's been witnessing it and writing about it. He's associate editor of City Journal and project director of the New York City Initiative, oftentimes at the Manhattan Institute. Oftentimes his columns appear in the New York Post. Seth, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So that was really necessary. Let's tell everybody we're going to end the contracts with the skating rink in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, this is this has been on their agenda for a while. They tried doing it early on, uh, you know, right after Trump was elected and they found out they couldn't because it would violate the First Amendment. It's not even clear it's going to work this time. And as you pointed out, the contracts expire soon. So you know, I, I expect within a few years the ice rink will be crumbling and falling apart and um, no one will be able to ice skate. So, you know, it'll be a great victory for all. Which is why he took it over in the first place back in the 80s. Seth, right. how would you, for people around the country who know New York, visit New York, who don't live in New York, can you describe, first off, how the mayors handled this pandemic? I mean, he's done a terrible job, uh, you know. Crime was already rising before the pandemic, but he has pulled the police uh, basically off of quality of life enforcement. I mean, there's been a whole series of reforms that have just denigrated the quality of life in New York City. So at this point, I mean, there's people who are committing like pretty serious crimes like manslaughter who are then you know released on w- without bail. They're just like, OK, we'll come back, check in. Uh, They go out and commit more crimes. Uh, The homeless are taking over parts of the city where you've never seen them before. The subways are still a disaster. He's not focused on bringing business back. He's not focused on opening up the city. Uh, It's it's doing badly. I mean, shootings were up over 100 percent in 2020. I mean, that's amazing. That's astounding. There's never been an, inc- an increase in violent crime like that in New York City, ever. Uh, so things are, um, things are not looking great. So he got rid of the anti-crime unit. He got rid of the homeless unit and replaced it with nothing. There was nobody to go out and pick up the homeless in zero-degree weather. So they were freezing to death. So there's so many there because it's, it's too inhumane to leave them in shelters. So he's taking over uh, vacant hotels or hotels he- that don't have any people in it because nobody's working here. Right. So he's putting homeless people into hotels where there's no services, where they can come and go whenever they want. They can do drugs in their room. They can drink. Uh, These are people who largely have either major substance abuse problems or mental mental illness and essentially just leaving them on their own. So, you know, they congregate outside. It's um, it's not it's not good for the neighborhoods. Look, nobody particularly wants to have homeless shelters in their neighborhood. These aren't even homeless shelters, though. These, this is a completely unmonitored, unsupervised um, free-for-all. So, yeah, it, it's, 
it's it's contributing to it's another con- contributing factor to the decline in quality of life. What about the decline in the, uh, of the relationship between the Democratic governor, Democratic mayor, and how it's affecting things? We know that he took no uh, responsibility to the governor for the riots that happened uh, over the spring and uh, through the summer. We know he takes no uh, he takes no responsibility for the rise in crime that you mentioned. But now you had a mayor begging the governor for some freedom when it comes to vaccinations. How did warp speed and how did the responsibility of warp speed uh, fall for those people in New York currently right now? Well, it's just been another disaster. Cuomo has just become a complete tyrant, a micromanager to the extreme. He was always this way, but the pandemic has given blue state governors, these newfound powers, which they love to exercise. We see this all over the country where they're micromanaging, you know, which bar can be open at what time, which county has to close. Um, It's like it's like a dream come true for them. They can just dominate everything. And, you know, Cuomo shows up on television to give his briefings every day like he's leading a war. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it's 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 been terrible. He refused to open up the the vaccinations. So hundreds of doses were being thrown away because hospitals were worried they would be fined or cut off if they act, if they vaccinated somebody who wasn't in the priority list. Think about um, that, because know, this- it's all about retribution. Hundred thousand dollars. If you do not, uh, if you don't do everything I say, you lose your liquor license if you stay open too long or have too many. Uh, You have health inspectors constantly harassing legitimate business owners, trying to get their small margin and make a living. And this is what's set up here. It's a police state where what everybody does, whatever, no matter what you do, it's not good enough. And still, we are running at a huge deficit. I, I have no idea what they're going to do. At this point, though, the legislature now has a, can override his vetoes because the Democrats have won a supermajority in the state Senate and the state assembly. So I, I think that their plan is just to ram through all kinds of uh, taxes, uh, taxes on the high-income people. Now, this is a very progressively taxed state already, so – you know, they're just going to raise taxes on people who are already taxed and who, frankly, have the resources to leave, which is what many people are doing. More people so, are leaving this state than any other state in the country, Seth. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think 300,000 households filed change of address forms with the Postal Service last uh, last year, just from New York City, uh, which is a lot of people. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what Cuomo and de Blasio are thinking. They can't operate together. Uh, they hate each other. It's, um, it's an ugly situation. Seth Barron with us. He writes for City Journal, Project Director of New York City Initiative at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, Seth, I want you to hear this. This is Governor Cuomo. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. Did, is he out of his mind? He He's locked completely him. out of his mind. What, does this he know what, how, how ridiculous he sounds? That's exactly what we've been asking him to do since last March. This is what people have been saying 
And every time they did, I mean, you could basically get yourself canceled for saying that. People who said that were mocked and ridiculed and scorned and called murderers and fascists. Uh, Cuomo is completely deranged. I mean, for months we had to listen to him giving his bocce court philosophy every day, getting lauded for it by his brother on CNN, being given Emmys and told that he was like the hero of the – telling us that he was the hero and the savior of the country for his response, which was terrible, probably the worst in the country, and driving thousands of businesses out of of business. And now he's telling us exactly what President Trump said, like, all last year. But now that I guess Trump is gone, now this is an acceptable thing to say, that, um, that we need to reopen. Remember the big it, thing he wanted. He had, the, he had to have the Javits Center converted. He got it. He had to have that ship, uh, that hospital ship there. He got it. He didn't use either one of those things while still destroying the, the city and the state. Uh, we're in a city, Seth. I'm not sure where you are. We're in Manhattan, 48th and yeah. 6th. Nobody's working here. And there's Del Frisco's with a tent that, allow, that makes people eat outside where the air is just as stifling and more stifling than it is in the building they're outside of. In the winter, they say you can have outdoor dining. And that's how they expect this state to survive, this city to thrive. While Florida is showing you it's possible to do it, no one kills the pandemic. Understood, we're not from under it. Their numbers are less, but yet they're allowed to work. You're totally right. I'm in Manhattan, too, and I see it every day. It's a disaster. More and more businesses are closing. I don't know what's going to happen, Brian. It's really bad. I think Cuomo's planning to run for a fourth term next year. And he'll get it. I don't know. Probably. I don't see why not. Um, You know, that's what happens when you have a one-party state. It leads to um, basically like having a dictator. Guess what? California might be having the same conversation that we are, and they're listening to us too. Seth, I want you to hear what else Cuomo said and is counting on as his ongoing State of the State address does as he rambles through the state giving it. Listen. So you ask me today, what is our State of the State? New York is suffering. We expect basic fairness from Washington, finally, with our new president, a new Senate, and the House members, I believe they will do justice. If Washington does tell New York to effectively drop dead once again, I would be shocked. But New York will fight back. So he's waiting for a bailout. First, he said, I have no money to give out the vaccine. Before that, he said, I will not use the vaccine because Trump came up with it as if he made it. And now that he got it, he has no plans. He had $7.5 million to hand it out. Now he's opening up these centers and the stadiums to allow people to come in. And he's demanding a payout while refusing to open up his city so we could earn our own way. He'll. Do you think he's going to get a big check? Oh, you know, he'll probably get something. I don't think it's going to be everything he wants. I don't think it's going to close our our, our, our absurd budget gap. Uh, I can't imagine that the rest of the country is planning to pony up, you know, $100 billion or whatever it is that he, he thinks he deserves. I mean, let me remind you, not that long ago, uh, Cuomo said that he would not approve distribution of the vaccine. Because he didn't trust the FDA and the CDC under Trump. He said, we're going to have our own review. 
we have, we're going to have the Department of Health in New York State review the vaccine and do their own tests. He says the most insane, <laughs> obnoxious things that make zero sense and is never called on it. The reporters in New York are terrified to push back on him. And he just, you know, the guy is seriously like a maniac. Seth, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound too extreme, but he's really out there. You see him more than anybody else. You are 100% right. I can't believe it because Robert De Niro thinks he's cool. We're supposed to accept him. I hope people out there understand what we're dealing with. Seth Barron, you do. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right. We're going to have some fun when we get back. Uh, there's huge football games this weekend. Brian Billick, a great broadcaster, wonderful coach, NFL network analyst will be with us. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. And meanwhile, here is Nate Sudfeld. We mentioned Peterson was telling us yesterday, hey, I want to get him into the game. And I said, if the game is really close, would you get him in at the end of the game? And we really didn't get an answer. But here is your answer. And in New York, they're saying, why are you experimenting on our time? But it's really Philadelphia time. And they're trying to evaluate their quarterback position. Yeah, for four years, this guy's hadn't had a snap. But in the middle of a tight game, within three points, you pull out your rookie quarterback, who you would like to see in a tough situation, and put in a career backup. It made no sense. But the NFL investigated and will not penalize the Eagles. They'll get the number six pick by losing instead of the ninth pick if they won. It would have sent the Giants to the playoffs instead of the Washington Football Club. Joining me now is Brian Billick, uh, coach, uh, NFL Network analyst, great coach. Brian, what would be your reaction if you were the Giants watching what you saw with Philadelphia? Do you think the NFL made the right call? Yeah, if you're a Giants fan, yeah, you're definitely going, wait a minute, this just doesn't seem right. But, yeah, I think the NFL did make the right call. Let's let's back up. One, uh, Jalen Hurst obviously did some things. He was 7 of 20 on the day. So it's not like he was lighting it up and taking it up and down the field. He was running around and making some plays that way. It was fairly close. Uh, and, yeah, I think uh, Philadelphia, not to make an excuse for Philadelphia, I would have liked to have seen them keep Jalen Hurst in. Uh, I think that was their best chance to win. But by the same token, their job is to get themselves ready now for next year. And if they wanted to look at this kid, you know, so be it. So, yeah, uh, if I'm the Giants fans, I don't like it. But I think the NFL is doing right. I don't think it was a sanctionable offense. And, and then to kick a field goal on fourth and five, not to kick a field goal on fourth and five that would have tied the game, you got to be kidding. Yeah, well, I, I, let me guess. You're a Giants fan. <laughs> uh, but if you yeah, were, what understand. if you were coaching? What if you were? And by the way, the fallout was so great. Doug Peterson left. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I mean, from the standpoint, now you you can make those observations about when you go for go for two, not go for two. Should you kick the field goal? Should you go for overtime? You know, you make those decisions during the course of the game from the standpoint of uh, how's my defense doing? How's my offense doing? Do I have a better chance of winning in overtime than I do in in going for it or making this field goal? Those are the kind of decisions that right. uh, that you got to make. But you're right. It does sound like there was some, you know, they, they weren't together in terms of why or how they made these decisions at the top because, like you said, uh, Doug Peterson's gone. 
Uh, Brian Billick with us. Brian, uh, there's a matchup that the whole, uh, I think the, the rain's going to be through the roof, even though no crowd will be there. Drew Brees against uh, Tom Brady. This is round three. Uh, what do the Bucks have to do to make this one a win that they couldn't do the first two times? Yeah, I've been I'm, I've been jumping into conspiracy theorists, uh, only half joking, that I think Bruce Arians and Tom Brady designed to say, okay, let's look terrible for three quarters of the season, lull everybody to sleep, and then we'll kick it in the gear, you know, in the last quarter. And um, yeah, they they've been playing stunningly the last month or so. I hope I can't imagine it being the same blowout game that the New Orleans had before. I think Tom Brady has now found that rhythm of playing Brady small ball. But when the big play presents itself, I'm going to take it. And with guys like Godwin and Evans and A.B., it presents itself a lot, and he takes it. So they're playing at a really high level right now. And defensively, they're playing really solid. So I just I hope it's a good game because you're right. We're talking about two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks going at one another in the playoffs. I can't imagine it not being a really, really good game. And probably, don't know for sure, because New Orleans is playing really well right now uh, with Drew Brees and all that talent he has. My guess is it'll come down to who has the ball in their hands at the end of the game. X-Tech equipment, you're still representing them. It's the best way to stay safe on the field. If you're going to play, you're going to coach, you you run a league. How do we get it? How do we find out more about it? Yeah, number one, number one pad in the National Football League, top players, George Kittle, D.K. Metcalf, Josh Allen, Aaron Donald, all playing, wearing X-Tech pads. Top elite programs in college, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Ohio State, all wearing the X-Tech pads. Uh, go to xtechpads.com. It's 100% American-made. Uh, our young people, this is the pad you're taking the head out of the game. So obviously the shoulder pads are just that much more important. They need to be, our young people need to be in X-Tech pads if they want to play the game safely. Hit co- uh, promo code COACH21 for 10% off the order. Uh, Brian Billick, thank you. All right, sounds good. All right, digging for football this weekend. There is a report, too, that Urban Meyer is about to become Jacksonville Jaguars coach. He's back, going to try it in the pros. He's as good as there was in college, uh, and he certainly knows the area. That's good news for Jacksonville. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jim Trussie's going to be with us in a matter of minutes talking about yesterday's historic impeachment number two for the President of the United States. And then, bottom of the hour, Jason Chaffetz bringing inside the battle on the Republican side. Who's right? Liz Cheney? Kevin McCarthy? Steve Scalise? Jim Jordan? When it comes to how Republicans should feel about the President, his speech, the march, and the security breach that happened uh, one week ago yesterday. We'll talk about all that, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I remember very well the divisive uh, days of the Vietnam War, and it wasn't as bad as this. This is as bad as it gets, as bad as it's ever gotten, perhaps since the Civil War. And so the challenge for leaders in a time like this is how do we uh, tamp this down? Yeah, it would be nice if someone tried. Republicans and Democrats finally agree on something that, uh, according to an Axios Ipsos poll, that four out of every five Americans think the country's coming apart. How do we change that? Where do you stand? Number two. 
here's the sleeping giant in all of this. Watch China. Over the last several weeks, in the early part of this year, late last year, he made Jack Ma, the wealthiest guy in China, disappear. Now you turn to the United States and it's Jack Dorsey that made the president of the United States disappear. Big tech crackdown is alarming. More and more as now Snapchat joins the other social media giants in banning the president. Is this 1980? Is it the Soviet Union? Where do you stand? Number one. I sadly, and with a heart broken over what this means to our country, of a president who would incite insurrection, will sign the engrossment of the article of impeachment. Uh, That is Nancy Pelosi doing what she's very familiar doing. She wanted to impeach the president. Now she's done it twice. She knew it was going to happen. Ten Republicans side with the Dems, but they have the majority. And what the speaker says, they all do. What is next? And that's the bigger question. Jim Trustee is here. Uh, Jim Trustee, former federal prosecutor at the DOJ and partner at uh, a law firm here. Jim, welcome. Hey, thanks, Brian. So, Jim, uh, Jonathan Turley said too quick. You can't do it this quick. There was no deliberation. And he didn't even like the articles of impeachment, how it was written. What about you? Well, I'm with uh, Mr. Turley, Professor Turley on this one. I mean, look, I I think the idea of a snap impeachment is basically an oxymoron. Like, you know, this is supposed to be an incredibly weighty, deliberate moment in history when the Congress gets together to decide whether to remove or disqualify a high office holder like a president from office. And I, I don't really care who sits in that seat. But snap impeachments are just wrong institutionally. It's it's ignoring the fact that you don't have sufficient evidence, that you're not taking your time and weighing things out. And, I mean, again, my view is it's like a, a parallel to a criminal prosecution. I know there's a dispute on that. But the bottom line is I can't imagine that a person charged with a crime in the United States would go to trial a week later and feel like they had a fair process. So uh, I have a real problem with the idea of of ignoring the consistency and fairness of process that we should have, because that really is a cornerstone to getting to a just result. And and snap impeachments will not give you that. Maybe this would have been a better alternative. Cut seven. Kevin McCarthy. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action. The president's immediate action also deserves congressional action, which is why I think a fact-finding commission and a censure resolution would be prudent. Would have been a better alternative? Well, I I think so in this case. I mean, look, the the bottom line is I think people are taking the idea of of moral outrage and and disappointment and frustration with how the president handled himself and just leaping to the notion that that supports a legal impeachment. And when you really look at incitement to insurrection, it requires things that are not present here. It requires a specific intent that he caused violent overthrow and that the words he used were reasonably – Uh, are interpreted, I guess, in their reasonable and normal usage. So in other words, you can't just say, well, when the president said peaceful, it's a dog whistle for violent. I mean, that's not how incitement to insurrection cases work. And so, again, I I think it's a rush to judgment that's fueled by a a legitimate uh, moral outrage but doesn't support a legal process of impeachment. Do you worry about a future problems like with, with an aggressive Republican House who doesn't like something Joe Biden's doing and maybe might be subject to controversy? They're going to go, I'm going to do the same thing to you. And it really inflames the country. Or don't you, as a lawyer, do you, are you not concerned about that? 
<laughs> no, I'm I, I also happen to be an American citizen. So, yeah, I am concerned about it. And look, I, I think what you've seen from the first impeachment and going through to a snap impeachment is a cheapening of the currency. You know, impeachment needs to be a very deliberate, weighty, grave matter. And what we're seeing now is the first impeachment was one that was, I think, wrongheaded because there was no crime. They couldn't even really come up with the formulation of what the crime was. It was more of a um, referendum or a no confidence vote. And now we've got something where there's a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, understandable, a lot of frustration. But again, you're cheapening this very rare vehicle for, for some sort of constitutional relief. And yeah, I think you've already heard from a congressperson saying that she's going to draw up an article against Joe Biden. And you know, down the slide we go towards uh, using this as a referendum or a no confidence vote when it's not supposed to be that at all. I, I know. It just I just wish there would be some type of maturity somewhere at some point, and they realize they're, they're playing with the country while they're in their intramural battles. Uh, Jonathan Lemaire saw, heard the president's speech. He's with uh, MSNBC's AP White House reporter. The president gave a great speech yesterday. A lot of people, including me, wanted him to give the same speech, only with more urgency, maybe live, when this whole thing started last week. So he talked about um, I'm about um, nonviolence. Uh, that's not what this movement's about. I declare you're not uh, the, you don't associate anything with me if you, in fact, do that. Here's a little of how it sounded. Cut one. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law. And he went on. It was just well-written, well-done. And a lot of people thought this was with his legal future in mind. Jonathan Lemire weighed in. Cut 22. What's fueled the president's about-face here is exactly that. According to our reporting, he is deeply concerned about the civil cases he could face after leading the White House, that he could be held responsible for inciting that violence. He's deeply worried about that, and that is what's led to his shift in tone uh, from when we've heard to him. And of course, with any time we start to talk about the president's tone, it's only a matter of time. And we can report that last night the president was even talking to advisors, wondering if, if that was the right decision, if he'd gone too far uh, with his video because he didn't want to alienate his supporters. So... What are your thoughts? Is, is, do you think that this, does this help the president legally? Well, I don't think it has any effect legally. Um, I mean, the bottom line is there was either an incitement to insurrection or there wasn't. And again, in my book, under the plain reading of the U.S. Code when it comes to that and the case law, that there actually wasn't. So it, it's back into that category of kind of morality, uh, public outrage, public politics. And it, it is, a you know, I think his comments were considerably better than the comments on the day that this all happened or in the immediate aftermath. And there's going to be a lot of frustration for, you know, for history books to reflect upon when it comes to how he reacted to this thing. But, you know, just to go back to the main basis here, you know, we don't know the evidence yet. I mean, we know what he said. We know that there was violence. But there's a, hundreds of people being investigated right now. What if a, a dozen of them said, look, we were the leaders of the uh, break-in and we planned this out a month ago? 
and we didn't even hear the president on the 6th. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could cut in either direction. I suppose theoretically you could have somebody say, oh, you know, President Trump tweeted me and said, begin the break in. Well, you know, I doubt that happened. But the bottom line is there's we, so much information that's not on the table yet because of the way they're rushing the judgment. So uh, I wonder if I can, can we pivot over to big tech? Uh, I'm a little stunned, and so is Angela Merkel of Germany, so is the Bolsonaro of Brazil, so is uh, so is the president of Australia, McCormick. They're saying, what's going on? How could you possibly shut down the president of the United States between uh, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, snap, uh, uh, pushing Al Parler? Is there any—is is this— for lack of a better term, allowed? Can you shut a person out? Well, yeah and no. I mean, great lawyer answer, right? And, and by the way, Brian, I'm still I'm reeling from the fact that all three of my Twitter followers are gone. So, you know, this has been a, a bad day for all of us. But, uh, I, I lost 45,000, by the way. Yeah, I, I lost my mom, dad, and sister, but that was all for different reasons. But no, I mean, but seriously, it, it is very uh, a very grave moment, a very bad moment to have big tech essentially take the reins. And I think what's pretty obviously uh, a transparent ploy. I mean, to say that this is all about, for instance, parlor not monitoring uh, words of violence is absurd when you yourself are putting things online like Daniel Pearl's beheading or the Ayatollah of Iran uh, or, frankly, even Chuck Schumer standing in front of the Supreme Court and saying these justices won't know what hit them if they uh, overturn Roe versus Wade. So you have all sorts of moments that are either equal or worse than anything that Donald Trump could be construed as saying back on the 6th. Uh, the problem is it's a very difficult thing to undo. These are private entities. There's arguments about them being essentially public utilities because of how widespread they are. But it's not a First Amendment issue because it's not about the government reigning in free speech. It's not, I don't think, uh, the basis of a criminal prosecution in any sense. I've heard people throw out RICO and some other terms. But I do think that antitrust action is possible here, that it's time to really aggressively, whether it's a private plaintiff or the government, to say, wait a minute, big tech is getting together and suppressing speech on suspect grounds. And that's from the president on down. I mean, there's all sorts of folks that have been shut out. That needs to be looked at. And uh, unfortunately, that could take some time. But I think we need to get there if we're going to preserve the ability to have dissidents. Parler is suing Amazon. And what what people have told me is they really have very little chance. These are going to be the biggest uh, deep, most deep-pocketed companies. They're going to lengthen this out as long as possible. They're going to out. You know, they're going to make Paula spend themselves, uh, spend themselves silly, and they'll be done anyway. So they really have no shot at trying to prove that they were unjustly treated by Amazon, Apple, and Facebook. Yeah, I mean, look, sometimes even with the the resource uh, differential, David can still beat Goliath, but. Um, it's uphill. And that's why I think, really, um, I would look to DOJ, whether it's criminal or civil, there's an antitrust section or antitrust division that could be looking into this conduct. And they won't have the same problem when it comes to resources. And ultimately, in terms of speed, you know, someone somewhere needs to file for preliminary relief, try to get an injunction uh, and basically, again, convince a court that it's time to intervene and to uh, protect free speech. Jim Trusty, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it.
Sure. Good talking to you, Brian. Fascinating time. one 408 7669 We're going to come back, take some more phone calls. In the bottom of the hour, Jason Chaffetz will be with us, and then we'll finish up with even more to know. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Congressman Brian Mast, Mm -hmm. a Republican from Florida who lost his legs, by the way, fighting for democracy abroad. Mm -hmm. Although I don't know what his, I don't know about his commitment to it here in the United States. How unbelievable is that? Jake Tapper questioning the patriotism of Congressman Brian Mast of Florida. Are you nuts? Because Brian Mast had a statement on the floor. He took his two minutes and left 30 seconds uh, just totally silent because he asked a question. And here's how it sounded. Cut 14. I rise with a very simple question. On January 6th, thousands broke the law by taking siege of our, of our capital here with us inside. Has any one of those individuals who brought violence on this capital been brought here to answer whether they did that because of our president. It appears I will receive no answer. I will yield my time back to the gentleman from Ohio. He stood there for 30 seconds, total silence. Nobody had an answer at all because they don't know. They rushed. They, they said the president made a speech. They told them to march down. Our place was invaded. Our lives were threatened in many cases legitimately. I'm not saying anything I just said is... Uh, is wrong. But to say, Brian Mass says, how, how do you even know what happened there? What cause of this? Even the FBI doesn't know yet. But you got to quickly impeach for a president that's leaving in five days. And then Jake Tapper calls him out. And they went back and forth on Twitter on that. It's embarrassing. Matt Gates also weighed in. He, uh, he was fiery, as usual. Staunch defender of the president. Cut 16. I denounced political violence from all ends of the spectrum. But make no mistake, the left in America has incited far more political violence than the right. For months, our cities burned, police stations burned, our businesses were shattered, and they said nothing. Or they cheerled for it, and they fundraised for it, and they allowed it to happen in the greatest country in the world. Now, some have cited, some have cited the metaphor that the president lit the flame. Well, they lit actual flames, actual fires. And we Time expired. There will be order in the house. And what he's referring to is the, the tearing up of the State of the Union address. That doesn't inflame people. They we're talking about the blowing up, the taking of a police station in Minneapolis, the daily riots in Seattle, followed by the ones in Portland that still exist even today. And nobody seems to be upset. People do things. It's just a statue. It just happened to be Washington or Jefferson or Grant, or Lincoln. So this whole thing wasn't culminated, and I hope it doesn't get any worse than what we saw last Wednesday. But it's worth bringing up, especially if you're going to impeach in a day, in two days, and while the president leaves in five. Joe, listening at WABC. Hey, Joe. It's obviously a clear political act that they want to impeach the president for a second uh, time. 
uh, unprecedented. Uh, their objective is to get him convicted in the Senate so that he can't run in 2024. But make no mistake, the people who follow Trump, who have been denounced by the left as being so-called deplorables, they will continue to be a political force in this country. Because, again, 74 million Americans voted for Trump. Joe, not going Joe I agree. And that's why Mitch McConnell, who is street smart, why is he considering going forward with this impeachment? And because he's got it, he's 80-something years old. He's, this is his last six years, clearly. So not saying on the planet, I'm saying in office. So at the very least, you don't like the president, you do like the president. You did a lot with the president. Uh, tax reform, criminal justice reform, as well as the, the hundreds of judges and the Supreme Court justices. He did a lot with this president. So at the very least, it was transactional. And now he's considering voting for impeachment, which means the president could actually have people stand behind Mitch McConnell and get that 17 that would do it. But why? Tell me the, where that should be a priority. We're in the middle of a pandemic with all the enemies we have. one 408 7669 we come back, I'll talk more about this. And with the Republicans, they really got to ask themselves what's going on. Because Liz Cheney, who I have more respect for than just about anybody, Really is not happy uh, with the president, voted for impeachment, which made leadership very unhappy with her, or at least Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and others. Where does Jason Chaffetz stand? Because Kevin McCarthy didn't, uh, didn't exonerate the president. Steve Scalise kind of did. Jim Jordan kind of did. Where does Jason Chaffetz stand? He's next. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen anytime, briankilmeadeshow.com, and get it at Spotify, iTunes, iHeart. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob riot. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action. The president's immediate action also deserves congressional action, which is why I think a fact-finding commission and a censure resolution would be prudent. Kevin McCarthy... Not exonerating the president, saying I'm not for impeachment, kind of splitting the difference, going for censure, which is not even offered. What does Jason Chaffetz feel about that? Knows all these players very well because we're talking a Republicans' reaction. We know the Democrats are going to always look to impeach the president. Jason, where do you stand? Do you stand with Steve Scalise, who does not want to hold the president, does not see his culpability here? Do you want to go with Jim Jordan, who feels the same way? Uh, Liz Cheney, who says he should be impeached? Or Kevin McCarthy, who says he should be censured? You know all these people. Yeah, I do. And I've served with them and it was an honor to do so. Uh, I'm a little bit more in the Kevin McCarthy camp. I I do think that was a shameful day. I think uh, I don't see anything that's impeachable. I don't see a specific line that the president said that would um, invoke lawlessness or attacking a police officer or or breaking into the Capitol. I, I don't I don't see that. And if it was there, it certainly would have been in the resolution and Democrats would be harping on it all day, every day. Uh, But nevertheless, um, I I don't think it was productive. I I think it was um, there are a lot of people there. uh, They are right to gather. 
I don't think everybody should be painted with the same brush. And those that should be that broke in and did lawlessness, then they should be arrested and prosecuted. And I felt the same way over the summer. I, I think I've been very consistent about that. You have. Uh, it's just unfortunate all around. I just wish there would be some leadership. There was a tweet that went out from Joe Biden. I want the Senate to do their constitutional duty on impeachment while at the same time vote my agenda. You have experience with lawmaking. There's no way we're going to do impeachment and confirm his nominees while attacking the pandemic. You can't do it. You can't do it. And and this is in part part of the reason I don't think that – uh, this should continue. I want there to be a thorough investigation. Some of those people did not look like they just uh, spontaneously decided to do this. It looked like they came ready to, to fight. And when you show up with zip ties and helmet and riot gear, uh, you were planning on something far longer than just getting whipped up by a speech. Uh, I think that 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 needs to be uh, really investigated. But I think this is a time when Congress needs to put the needs of the nation above and beyond the needs of a political party who just want to destroy Trump and tear apart the Republicans. Our country wants to take a collective deep breath and move forward. The president is out of office next week. Talk about the schism between uh, Liz Cheney, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, uh, and others. Uh, number one, uh, you saw Dan Crenshaw weighed in on Twitter and said, just because I didn't vote the same way as Liz Cheney, she's a strong, talented woman, and, and she should stay right at leadership. She says she's not backing out. Where do you stand, Jason? I think this is one of the most important votes and positions, and I think um, Liz Cheney is an outlier on, on this one. She's certainly welcome as a member of Congress to vote her conscience. Every one of them should. I wouldn't advocate for anything else. But um, you know, in a, in a leadership position, I think some of these people make a, a good case. Um, it's something for the conference to have vigorous debates on. We certainly did when I was there. I mean, we were debating everything from John Boehner to, you know, who should serve as speaker. Those were some of the most uh, vitriolic uh, type of discussions. Uh, they like to say that it's all a big family and we need to come together, but they're going to need to air some things out. Well, I mean, do you believe that you could have such diversity of thought on major decisions and be in leadership? It sounds to me like you don't think she can lead. I, I think you can have diversity of thought. I don't think the Republican Party operates like the Democrats, where if you don't get in line with Nancy Pelosi, the iron fist comes down and does all this sort of retribution and everything. I, I, I think there can be some diversity of thought. And I think it's actually a strength of Republicans. But... You know, they're going to have that discussion. How you do things really does matter in that conference. So, you, all right, so you're still up in the air. I actually, uh, I think she styles both lines. I think for the most part, you could appreciate Donald Trump's unorthodox style and his successes. And at the same time, she has a little bit of tradition. I know she's tough and smart and experienced. Uh, but, and Kevin McCarthy seems to be straddling it there. Evidently, he was on the phone with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the corporate sport, uh, sponsors and supporters and saying, what do you need to see for to stay on board? Are you concerned for your party with all these corporations deciding that they do not want to support Republicans anymore, from Disney on down, Blackstone? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's dangerous here. There are a lot of individuals that have um, uh, the right to think in this country, and I think there are those that have donated on both sides of the aisle and to say, hey, we're just going to go one way or the other, this whole sort of cancel culture, we're going to attack you and never let you work again, and we're not going to ever donate again. And 
what good does that do the nation? I, I, I think there needs to be a better balance. We all need a collective deep breath, Brent. So um, let's pivot, if we can, over to censorship. Nikki Haley was on with Martha last night, and, you know, she is clearly positioning herself to run for president, forms a super PAC. She actually straddled the line, too. I thought she was as good with the president as anybody. I think they appreciated each other's different styles. I think she she was open to what the president was doing when it came to North Korea and China and empowering her to do just that while making that a cabinet position and backing her when General Mattis and General Kelly oftentimes were on the other side of an issue. She would he would make sure she wasn't trampled on. She's pretty tough. Here's what she said yesterday about the president being shut out of Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram and just about everything else. Cut 25. Everybody's emotions are running high and we've got to tamp that down. You know, here these companies talk about how, you know, their whole model is about free speech. Yet you just shut down, you know, the the president of of you know, the most free country in the world. And yet you left Iran and you left China up there. And I just think it was a gut reaction. I think it was an emotional reaction. All it did is raise the tensions and the passions of all of the Trump supporters higher and make things more dangerous. If they had taken their time and calmly introduced what they were thinking to the rest of the country, it would have been a different story. But all they did was show it more as a power grab. And that offended a lot of people. I think it's going to backfire. I do, too, and I hope so. Uh, Facebook and Twitter have collectively seen $51.2 billion erased from their market caps. Facebook, 47.6. Twitter, much smaller company, $3.5 billion. Uh, Twitter plunged 6.4% to start the week and dipped another 2.4%. This is without the president. To be sure, Twitter rose as much as 2%, but they've lost a lot. Maybe that's why he came out and tweeted uh, and made no sense. He was all over the map. But what is your reaction to what has happened? If you think about the ramification, they actually hunted the president down and stopped him from using the POTUS Twitter account. Yeah, I think that's a dangerous precedent. I don't know of anybody that can rationally come up with a, a, a reason that that is a good thing. I guess what makes Americans so upset, and even some of my more liberal-leaning friends, is it's such a one-way street, Brian. I mean, I know. It only goes one way. I mean, you and I could point to, I don't know, hundreds of examples where there's been uh, not just vitriol, but downright violence advocated. And none of that is taken down if it's somebody on the left voting or supporting a Democrat or a liberal. I mean, it happens all the time. Everything, everybody from Kathy Griffin to, um, you know, some of the world leaders like the Ayatollah, I, they, they have the ability to get out there. The, the inconsistency, inconsistency, the one-way street is just wrong. And on a financial side, Brian, what good does this do for shareholders? They have a fiduciary responsibility to build their company and look out for shareholders. I think that they're opening themselves up to not only losing market cap, but also shareholder uh, 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 lawsuits that will prevail. Uh, Parler, uh, the CEO, Kate, was on with to talk to Reuters yesterday. He said that Parler was talking to more than one cloud computing service but refused to disclose names, citing the likelihood of harassment for the companies involved. Do you believe that? He had another law firm got harassed and had to give up his case. He said the best thing would be if Parler could get back onto Amazon.com, but he says he cannot guarantee Parler will come back. And then the emoji, mocking emoji from the Twitter CEO, this shows, this is people not using their conscience, worried about security. This is colluded competition. And I just coined that phrase, by the way. Yes, 
No, I totally agree with you. And I like, I like that phrase. I'll stand behind you that you said it first, but um, there, there is nothing to, to justify the one way Avenue, the unequal application of those rules. I also think they're subject to an FTC uh, uh, lawsuit, uh, something about how they, have deceived the consumers to believing that when you send out a tweet, it will go to these people. You give them your information. The consideration is I give them the information and then they're able to share this with people. Or I get on Twitter, give up my personal information and do so. So I can see Brian Kilmeade and all these other people tweet, but then I really can't. I think that's a deceptive trade practice. And I think they're going to get a lawsuit on that as well. Uh, Jason, excited about your book. You nailed it again for a topic. I know it's early. It's coming out in the spring. They never let a crisis go to waste. The truth about disaster liberalism. And you're seeing it with the pandemic, aren't you? I did. You saw it throughout COVID. What I've learned the hard way and through example, and I've tried to synthesize it into this book, and it's just chock full of examples. I think it really illuminates the Democratic playbook. Because what they do is they take a crisis, and they aren't necessarily solving the crisis, but they're using the crisis as the, the wedge to get in there and do things that they can never do otherwise. And so you have not just COVID, but you have every single crisis you can think of where they say, as Rahm Emanuel once said, never let a crisis go to waste. We take this crisis, and then we're able to do all these other things. And when you go through this book, you're going to say, aha, now I get it. And you can see clear as day how the Democrats are operating and why they do that, because the more there are crises, the more government gets to expand. That's exactly the Democrats. That's exactly what they want to do. And so as they expand, guess what? There's a never-ending issue or a list of crises that move forward. All right, Jason Chaffetz, uh, thanks for filling in for me, by the way. You did a great job. Uh, Fox News contributor, uh, former chairman of House Oversight and Committee. Is this a fun job? It's great. It moves fast. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, and by the way, this is great therapy. Uh, if you have a lot to talk about, like an impeachment that shouldn't have happened, uh, like a, uh, an election mess that never ended, and like an inauguration that's uh, heavily in security, this is the best place to get your thoughts out. Uh, so feel free to fill in any time. Jason, thank you. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, listen, when we come back, I want you to know that there's more than just the three big stories to talk about. We have a lot going on, and uh, one of the things that is going on is uh, there is a uh, a battle coming up this weekend in the NFL playoffs. Uh, I also think there's some uh, classic games. I also think we're getting closer and closer to a, a story that cannot be denied. That China flat out not only lied about the virus, they lied about how much they're suffering. They've now locked down 22 million of their citizens. Their vaccine is only 50% effective. Back in a moment. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. After aging in space for more than a year, SpaceX is now bringing a case of Bordeaux wine back to Earth. Elon Musk, he's just got, he's got too much money. That's it now. He's using outer space as a wine cellar. He's oh, we're out of space. What are we going to do with these? I've got six bottles. There's no room. Fire up the rocket. We'll keep it up there while we drink this. <laughs> wine from space. That's one small step for man, one wobbly leap for mankind. James Corden having some fun uh, in a small audience. I cannot wait to see him back in studio with a packed house uh, on late night television. It reminds me, I'm wondering, is it indeed time for more to know? 
More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Right. I mean, it was 12 bottles of French Bordeaux wine that he was doing this to. I think he, did he become the richest man in the world? Did he pass Jeff uh, Bezos this week, I think? I believe so. It was recently. None of the bottles will be open until the end of February. That's when the company will pop open a bottle of two uh, out-of-this-world wine-tasting Bordeaux by some France, some of France's top connoisseurs and experts. Months of chemical testing will follow. Researchers are eager to see how space altered uh, the sedimentation and bubbles. I mean, they're always doing crazy things to wine. People are probably fascinated by this process. I would agree. I mean, I think the wine is the catchiest thing. But they also had other interesting things up there, right? Like mice, I think heart tissue, other things they are studying. But, of course, wine makes, makes the headline. Hey, when you own the rocket, you can make the decisions. <laughs> Next. Kellyanne Conway will be a guest on Bill Maher's show on HBO Friday. Expect a significant part of the show will be the host, never a wallflower in this best of times, reminding the world of his warnings that Trump would never accept defeat and would refuse to leave office. It'll be an interesting show to watch. I mean, you have to give Kellyanne credit for going on there, right? It's going to be a... She's got used to life after Trump. I believe if she was still there, this stuff wouldn't have happened. These people like Rudy Giuliani and others that are telling him he had a shot to win would say, oh, yeah, you might be right, sir, but you don't have a shot. The court cases are not fleshing out. You, this is how it looks on the outside. She could she could get to him. But do you think she tried to call him to talk to him? Mm, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Well, I mean, I hope maybe Bill Maher will ask her on uh, Friday. Next, the Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark, will now open up September 24th, an entire year after initially planned. I remember reading about this. Sopranos are incredibly popular. Very few critics had a problem with it, but they're going to make Tony a kid, right? And how he became a mobster? Exactly, yep. How he grew up in Newark and, you know, what his dad was involved with his sister. It should be good. I will say my husband just rewatched all of the Sopranos recently, so I feel like it's, like, renewed and very right. more excited for it than I was. Why we love the mob. By the way, how bad was Godfather 3? We watched Godfather 1 and 2. Some They did a director's cut of Godfather 3. It was hideous. It was like a cartoon. I will take your word for it because as Pete will cringe, I haven't seen any of the Godfather movies. Oh, the first two? And I, I was late to it. I was 20 years late to the Godfather party. Best acting I've ever seen. Ever seen. Probably the best constructed movie. Perfectly cast. I feel like I'm watching somebody else's life. I don't even, I got to remind myself this isn't a documentary. That's good to know. To be fair, you, you're late to a lot of good movies. Everything. Yeah. Well, Except <laughs> the Rockies. Indeed. Next, Mickey Mantle's card is sold for $5.2 million, smashing the previous record by over a million bucks. $5 million card, it's a 1952 card graded in mint condition, which is key, and one of only a few in existence, aside from Mantle being a 20-time All-Star and seven-time World Series champ, uh, he was the first year's tops-produced baseball cards. What's amazing about this, and I know you're not the biggest baseball fan, is that when you talk about Mickey Mantle, he always said how much better he could have been if he wasn't drinking and worked out more. He clearly had a problem, and he thinks that that's why he always got so upset when people used to praise him. Not only he was a little buzz a lot of times. Number two is he, he always thought it was wasted talent. He also said to me once, because we did our radio show and I did sports radio, I did it from Mickey Mantles when it was there on uh, around 59th. His son came in, and his son came in. He was a great guy. He said, I felt so bad. My dad used to tell me all the time, you could have been as good as me if you had a dad like me. Because he had a great dad. Um, um, I forgot his first name. 
Um, and he would come home every day after working blue-collar job and play baseball with him. And Mickey Mantle ended up being this incredible player from Oklahoma. But he wasn't that, you know, he was great to his kids, but he wasn't hands-on with his kids. Well, that's a great story, though. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, my, my dad always thought I could have been. I think it was Mickey Jr. or David Mantle. I forgot which one he said had Major League Baseball talent. But they loved him anyway. This is uh, dad. Yeah. And during the time when he Mantle's was once a thriving business, but when Mantle passed away, they were unable to keep it going. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.